You are listening to the official Acts 2 podcast. For more information and resources, please visit our website at www.acts2orlando.com. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you. I don't know really how to speak words after that introduction. Um, I want to speak really quick to something that Andrew said about the new building because I feel like he, he really gave you a gift and I don't want you to miss it. One thing that he talked about was how it's big and, and we're stepping into something like not really sure, right? There's that little bit of like unsure, like that's where faith comes in. So as family, we're moving in that. And I just want to say to each of you in the room, if you guys, if your dreams don't require heaven's intervention, they're not big enough. If you have a dream in your heart that you can do on your own, dream bigger. And that's what we're calling you guys in as family. That's what we're, we're getting to do together is to have a dream that is way bigger than we could accomplish in our own wills. Praise God. Because it means that we have to and we get to see him show up. And we get the testimony of what it looks like when this thing happens because heaven intervened. Cool? Can we all do that? Like in your personal lives and all together? Marvelous. Thank you little sidebar. (laughs) All right, so as Andrew said, um, my husband and I do the youth here, and um, we love it. It's amazing. We have some incredible kids, and I'm actually going to let a couple of them speak to you really quickly. Um, Two of them are going to go ahead and come on up here, guys, are going to give their testimony. So two, two weeks ago, Two weeks ago, we had our summer retreat, and these two um, were rocked. They want to share their testimony with you and release it over you, and then I'm going to give you the message that I gave them. So they've all heard it before, but maybe there'll be some new revelation on it for you guys. All right, this is Holiday. Can everybody say hi, Holiday? We call her Hobbs. She's pretty awesome. All right. Hello, everybody. All right, so at Adrenaline, one of the main songs that hit me while they were (laughs) playing was All Hail King Jesus, and... One morning during the part in the song where they were saying, all hail King Jesus, all hail the Lord of heaven and earth, all hail King Jesus, all hail the Savior of the world. And as that song played, I just saw these, this picture of angels sitting on these kind of like stands or benches up above. And God was standing in the middle, and they were all crying it out like, holy, holy, holy just satisfied and so filled with the truth they just couldn't stop saying it over and over and <laughs> and God was standing in the middle and he was just smiling and I heard him say to me this is what it looks like when my sons and my daughters are crying out my name because this is the one thing that they are absolutely sure of this is the one thing they can walk in and they can rely on and yeah and during that part, I saw his hand, like, come close, so I put my hand up to his, and I saw the hole in his hand, um, but I didn't feel his hand. I just kind of felt where the hole was, and he, and I heard him say to me, this is how much you're worth. You're worth this pain. You're worth it, and guess what? That day was the best day of my life because I got to prove my love for you, and it hurt, and it hurt a lot, my daughter, but you were worth it, and... <laughs> And then I'm just saying, they're like, God, you're so beautiful. I kept repeating that, like, church, like, I've heard it a hundred times. My God, you're beautiful. You're beautiful. I couldn't stop saying it. And he said, well, my daughter, if you were created in my image, doesn't that make you beautiful, too? <laughs> so I just want to release the truth over you this morning that if we are created in our Father's image, then we are beautiful and we are worthy of love, too. 
And that's what we walk in. That is what we are known for. We are not abandoned, and our Father hears us. He hears our cries. He hears it. He hasn't left us, and he loves, loves, loves hearing you cry out his name because he knows that it's finished and it's done. And he loved dying for you because you meant something to him. All right, this is Caesar. Everybody say hi, Caesar. I call Caesar Fresh Prince. Some of you get the reference. Hi. Um, first things is I'm a nerd. You got to know that. Because how God talks to me is through superheroes. So that's really cool, right? So I'm in my mood, right? He's singing. I'm singing. I'm getting words. Bang. Doctor Strange. Iron Man. And I'm looking, I'm like, oh, okay, you're Doctor Strange. And then I get Deadpool. I know, like, if you've seen the movie, you're like, oh, my goodness. But no, no. And I'm like, okay, who's that for? And God's like, and I'm like, no, 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 who's that for? And he's like, you. Like, um, yeah. And I'm like, okay. Like, what is it for? I'm like, he's like, oh, Merc with the mouth. So cool thing that Deadpool does is as he's, like, fighting a villain, he taunts them, makes fun of them, and it frustrates them. So when I'm dealing with something, I figure out that I make a lot of jokes. And when you make a jokes or when you laugh at it, it, like, lessens their power. So whenever you're just struggling with something, if you make a joke about it, it's like, oh, that's something small. I can brush it off. I have, like, Jesus on my side. That's what it is. Yeah. Also, uh, <laughs> I also got, uh, uh, so I could at least that'll be you. It's like, uh, you have Jesus on your side. When, whatever you're struggling with, just make fun of it? Is that, is, that, is that, I guess, what I'm saying? I guess, yeah, have that. But another one I want to share with you is, okay, before I knew we were moving, I got the Doctor Who crap. Uh, <laughs> crack. Uh, so any Doctor Who fans? Okay, so there's like four, yay. So what happens is there's a crack in Doctor Who, right? And what's pouring out of it is the whole entire universe. But I got that, and I was like, okay, that's cool. What do you... Like, what do you want me to do with this? And God's like, mm -hmm, just wait one second. I'm praying, I'm praying. He's like, hold up. And then you came to me this morning and was like, I want you to give a testimony and then give a testimony. And God's like, now. I was like, oh, okay. So here we go. <laughs> so, so, so this is a church, correct? But also, like, this is, like, you are a church, right? So it's, it's a crack. So the crack, instead of the universe coming out, it's heaven pouring out. So each and every one of you, heaven is pouring out of the crack, and that's awesome. That's so cool. So, yeah, I just want to share that. All right. Great morning. Everybody go home. See you next week. <laughs> I'm pretty sure Caesar just re released a word over our house, right? Like, what the heck? Guys, these are my children. <laughs> I mean, I know you have their parents, and great job, but also mine. <laughs> oh, man. So we had such a good time at, at Winter Retreat. We have a great time every week. And, guys, there are other youth in the room. I challenge you today to get in front of one of them and be like, hey, tell me what God did for you at Winter Retreat. Because, one, they'll be mad at me for telling you to do that. Um, and two, they'll actually give you something really incredible. They all had amazing encounters with Jesus, and you, wanna, like, you want them to leak on you a little bit, okay? Awesome. So I'm going to share with you the word that I really feel like um, the Lord gave me for them at Adrenaline, but I feel like it's timely for the body of Christ. 
And they asked me, and what's really cool when you get asked to speak at Adrenaline is they just kind of give you an open-ended topic and then let you go to Holy Spirit and figure out what it's about. The topic they gave me was grace. I had eight pages of notes. (laughs) Like, great, we'll be here for eight hours. Fantastic. Grace, how do you speak a 30 to 45-minute message on that? So I really just had to ask Holy Spirit, okay, what are you giving me that is right now? Like, what, what, what piece of this do you want me to give away? And the rest of it will, like, I don't know, be my book later or something. <laughs> I don't know. But what is the piece that you want me to give? And he gave me this picture, and I'm going to unpack it for you guys today, okay? So I have to start with a little backstory. Some of you will know about the picture of the old covenant and what our access to God looked like in the old covenant. In the old covenant, we talk about um, about the way that the, the temple was designed, right? There was the holy place and then there was the holy of holies and there were lots of other steps before you even got there. But the holy place and the holy of holies were divided by this veil, now, I did a lot of research, and there's a lot of varying opinions. Ha <laughs> Varying opinions in the church. Are you kidding? Um, there's a lot of varying opinions from biblical scholars about what that veil really was, how, it was, how thick it was, how tall it was, all of that. But, but most people generally agree, um, and, and legend continues to tell us, that it was the, the width of a man's hand, the fabric, okay, The piece of fabric was so ornate and so thick that it was the width of a man's hand. So just hold your hand up real quick and imagine a piece of fabric that's that thick, like this way. Okay? That's thick. Some scholars believe it was between, um, it was nearly 80 feet tall. That's eight stories of a building and then this thick. That's crazy, okay? That's fabric, all right? The courtyard, the Holy of Holies, was entered by one man, only the high priest, only Aaron, one time a year. And why was he in there? He was in there to make atonement. And it was bloody. This was, this was a sacrifice that was, he was making atonement for the sins of the people. You guys kind of getting a picture here, right? He's making atonement for the sins of Israel, and it was bloody. We're talking like PETA would be mad at us, okay? PETA's not okay with this sacrifice. <laughs> this was a bloody atonement that had to be made for the sins of the people, and only one man could go in. It was very descriptive in the Bible of exactly what he had to wear, exactly the position of his heart. How it had to happen was so specific, and when he went in, it, 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 was, it was atonement. It had to be done once a year. And the whole reason for all of this, because we know our God is a covenantal God, right? So we talk often about old covenant, new covenant, but, but recognize that the desire of his heart was always one covenant. That's why the, crea- the creation story is so important, because it's more than just the creation of the world. It was covenantal between us and him. He wanted us to be one in the garden, Right? But the people of Israel chose distance for safety because being covenantal, being that intimate, being that vulnerable was the scary thing. And so they chose, right? They chose Moses. You go talk to God. That's too scary for me. I don't want to do that. I'm going to let you do that for me. And you, you, you come back down and you tell me what he says because I don't, mm, I don't know about this, right? So they chose distance for safety. But the heart of God, the original design was always covenant and always oneness, always That was the intent. And then we see the picture of Jesus all through the Old Testament. You can really see his picture. And and, and if you're not reading the Old Testament with with 
the magnifying of Jesus, magnifying glass of Jesus laid on top of it, you're, you're getting it wrong. You're missing it. If you're reading the Old Testament outside of the context of the person of Jesus, we're missing it. Because, yeah, because every single thing that happened all the way up until the person of Jesus was designed, was part of the epic story. It was part of reconciliation. Jesus' death in the New Testament did not alter God's character. His plan has always been a plan of grace. His death did not, did, and now we have a graceful God. No, we had a graceful God from the beginning. Every single thing from Adam's first breath to Jesus' death was God's plan for redemption and reconciliation. Every single thing. So then we know, of course, right, in the new covenant, grace and the work of the cross become synonymous. We know now that, that we have access into the Holy of Holies. We sang the song this morning. It's one of my favorites right now. If you haven't noticed, we've done it a lot here lately. And it's all hail King Jesus. And there's that verse in the song where it says, There was a moment when the lights went out, when death had claimed its victory. The king of love had given up his life the darkest day in history. There on a cross they made for sinners. For every curse his blood atoned. One final breath, and it was finished, but not the end we could have known. For the earth began to shake, and the veil was torn. What sacrifice was made as the heaven roared. All are justified. So this picture of grace that Jesus gave me, when I asked him, I'm on my face just, okay, give me something I can give them, because grace is so big. And he showed me the veil tearing. And that's the picture of grace that I want you to walk away with today. That grace looks like a torn veil. We have lots of scriptures in the word about grace. All are justified by his grace through redemption that came through Jesus Christ. That's Romans 3.24. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, but it is a gift from God, not by works so that no one can boast. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. It is uh, grace is yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of our uh, Jesus our Lord. 2 Peter 1 2. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people, Titus 2.11. But that picture of the veil being torn is what I want you to walk away with. Now, this, this veil that was this thick and 80 feet tall, generation to generation was passed down, and the temple continued to be built by those standards that we saw in the Old Testament. The temple continued to model after that. So now, in the time of Jesus... Right, we have the temple, and that, that veil still separates the holy of holies and the holy place. And, and it says in the Gospels, in Matthew and Mark and Luke, you see that, the veil, that that veil physically actually tore. Like that, go home and try to rip a phone book. Actually, try, to, like, try just with your strength to rip a Bible in half or a phone book in half. You can't do it. it and that's paper. This was a veil. This is fabric. It's this thick. Physically cannot be ripped by hand. Physically impossible. It's not just some uh, act of nature. This is not just uh, an, an earthquake that did this. It had to be an act of heaven. It had to be an act of God. It had to be. So from top to bottom, possibly 80 feet tall and four-ish, five inches thick, ripped from heaven to earth. I'm going to throw up a scripture real quick from Hebrews 10, 19 through 22 in the Passion Translation. And now we are brothers and sisters in God's family because of the blood of Jesus. And he welcomes us to come right into the most holy sanctuary in the heavenly realm. 
boldly and with no hesitation. For he has dedicated a new life-giving way for us to approach God. For just as the veil was torn in two, Jesus' body was torn open to give us free and fresh access to him. So we see that picture of his grace that we now have complete access to him. And this is a phrase you may hear a lot in our body. We say often unhindered access. We say those words unhindered access. But, but what really does that mean? It means that we really do have full access to everything in the kingdom. Every single thing that he is, every part of his character and nature, we have complete access to it. We have full access to all of him with absolutely no strings attached. So every part of his healing, every part of his goodness, all of his presence, all of his joy, everything that he is, everything that he has, everything that he does, we get fully and completely. And now we get to go straight into his presence and not send Aaron on our behalf. We get to go straight into his presence and receive everything that he has for us and all of the grace to live righteously with him and in him. This is what we have. Grace was released over all mankind through the work of the cross. And yet, we have a little bit of a misunderstanding of what it is. Grace becomes your ticket to go fully before him, to be fully seen and known by him, and to live a righteous life. Grace is the resource for you to live righteously. How about this? Grace is big enough for you to have moments of sin and not a nature of sin that you're now required to wrestle with every day until you go to heaven. That's not abundant life. I actually want to challenge you that I believe you can live. I believe you can live sin-free. With moments of sin that make you go, ah, that's not me. Let me step back into who I am. And not a sin nature that has to be beat out of you, that you have to wrestle with. That's what grace does. That tearing of the veil giving you full access to him. You understand now that you have access to 100% of his righteousness? Why then would we believe that we have to live and wrestle with our sin man? I'm going to get there. There's more coming. Hold on a second. Let's go to 2 Corinthians 5.17. Now if anyone is enfolded into Christ, he has become an entirely new creation. All that is related to the old order has vanished. Behold, everything is fresh and new. Let's jump to Galatians 2.20. You know this one, everyone. My old identity has been co-crucified with Messiah and no longer lives. Okay, my old self no longer lives. The nails of his cross crucified me with him. And now the essence of this new life is no longer mine. For the anointed one lives his life through me. We live in union as one. My new life is empowered by the faith of the Son of God who loves me so much that he gave himself for me and dispenses his life into my life. I'm going to say this. You might have heard it before. Jesus didn't die for you. He died as you. He died as you. The sin nature was killed, crucified, no longer exists, dead and buried. So if you're still wrestling with the sin nature, 
you're you're breathing life into something that's been dead for 2000 years thanks mindy <laughs> do you do go oh, do you guys know what you need to sin do you know what you need to have in order to be able to sin two things a free will and the ability to believe a lie do you have those things yes Jesus gave you a free will because he wanted you to choose him. And the ability to believe a lie, right, that happens right here. And the moment that I have a free will, which I always do, and I've believed a lie, then now it it is easy for me to fall into sin. A moment of it and not a lifestyle of it. So why are we beating ourselves up so much over, over sin and shame when it just takes two things to believe it? To believe, or it just takes two things to do it, and we're not accessing the grace that God has given us to live a fully righteous and, dare I say, sin-free life. I know, Andrew, you might have to clean that one up next week. Sorry about it. (laughs) So if this is true, (laughs) if this is true, then why don't we access grace? These are the two things I wanted our teenagers to walk away with. Guys, can you use them with me? This is why This is why I am so passionate about that generation. Just imagine with me this army of teenagers who get these two things I'm about to give to you. Whoa. Whoa. Watch out, world. The kingdom of God is here. And now I'm going to give it to you too because it's critical that we as a church understand these two things. The two things that I really released over them, the two reasons why I feel like we're not accessing the grace the way it was designed for us, is shame is number one. You can throw that word up there. Our sin and our shame keeps us so bound up, so ashamed of what we've done, who we are, what we've become, that we, shame, get this picture of shame. Shame is us knitting that veil up from the ground back up, trying again to be covered, trying again to put that separation up. I will hide. I will separate. I want to do what the Israelites did because I am ashamed of who I am because distance is safer. Intimacy is scary. Distance is safer. I'm going to stitch that veil back together and reestablish the, the veil, ultimately voiding the work of the cross in those three final words of it is finished. It is finished. Do you realize with his final breath, that's what he said. It is finished. And now you do your part. No. It's it is almost finished. It is it is just about done. No. It is finished. He used his last physical breath on this earth to breathe those words and to call it done for all eternity. Right? So when we're, the, because guys, listen up. The veil being torn was just as much about you having access to him as it was about you being seen. Catch that picture, will you? If there's a veil between me and you, you can't see me, you can't have access to me, but I also can't see you. When that veil is gone, I have a clear picture. I have access to you. It's just as much about you being seen by the king of kings as it is you having access to him. And so shame keeps us stitching that thing back together, trying to hide, trying to cover up, trying to choose distance for safety because I am ashamed. The lie of shame is that we're safer in separation. The lie of shame is to keep you from the oneness 
from oneness with the God who bought you, who bought your freedom. The lie of shame keeps you bound and hidden instead of free. The theme of the weekend with our students was upside down. So we took different messages and, and, and gave them the upside down kingdom view instead of the view that they see out there in the world. We gave them the upside down view. So the upside down view of shame or safety is hiding. Upside down, safety looks like don't let them in. Don't let them see me. It's shameful. But when we flip it, kingdom, right, safety actually looks like intimacy, it's backwards. It's hard in our culture to understand. In, in what's common, it's hard for us to understand that actually being open and intimate and vulnerable is the safest place you can be. You are safer being exposed because the stuff that's hidden and keeping you from fullness can be dug out and dealt with. I'm talking about exposed to the king. When you let him, when the presence of king can get inside of there instead of stuff getting shoved down into dark corners and locked up. I'm also going to talk just briefly, wasn't going to say this, but that's also intimacy in community. Because look, when I'm living my life intimate and open with my people, then, then they get to go, hey, that thing right there, that's keeping you from fullness. Let's deal with that. And that is safer because you know what's more dangerous is me keeping it locked up and bound and me now stuck in shame, in sin, in guilt, in fear, in lies, whatever the heck, because I'm living protected. And now the king doesn't have access, and my people don't have access, and that is, that is scary. That's way scarier than being open and vulnerable. It's dangerous. <laughs> the second thing, the second thing that keeps us from accessing grace, first was shame, second is identity. So I want us all to know what grace isn't. And this is what we know because Paul tells us, right? Grace is not license. Grace is not a license to sin. And, and Romans 6, 1 through 23, it's really long. I wanted to stand up here and read the whole thing to you, but it's long, like super long. So we'll just go from the beginning of grace, uh, grace, what's it? grace 6, 1, no, grace, Romans 6. We'll just rename Romans grace. How about that? All right. So what do we do then? Do we persist in sin so that God's kindness and grace will increase? What a terrible thought. We have died to sin once and for all as a dead man passes away from this life. Church, why are we still struggling with this sin nature thing? I'm just confused. Okay, um, so how could we live under sin's rule for a moment longer? Or have you forgotten that all of us who were immersed into union with Jesus, the anointed one, were immersed into union with his death? Sharing in his death, by, that is scandalous, y'all. Sharing in his death by our baptism means that we were co-buried and entombed with him so that when the Father's glory raised him from the dead, we were also raised with him. We have been co-resurrected with him so that we could be empowered to walk in the freshness of new life. I'm going to stop there and challenge you. Homework is read all of Romans 6. <laughs> That's what I wanted to do for you right now. That would take a little time. Isn't this so beautiful, guys? This picture of grace, right? Where am I? Hey. Oh. Identity. Okay. So we know, right? Grace is not licensed to sin. Grace does not give us to permission to say, oh, I, I can just stay in this thing because I know God's grace is going to cover it. We know that. We don't want us just i got to pull my notes up because on the drive here I was making notes. Um, all right. So 
Where am I? <laughs> okay, thanks. <laughs> um, yeah, all right, all right, all right, all right. Grace is not the permission to abuse the work of the cross. Grace is not permission to abuse the work of the cross as an excuse to sin. And I want to talk about, right, we talk about sin. There's those obvious sins. I'm talking about the sins you know are sins when you're in it, like addiction, anything that was written in the Ten Commandments, lying, cheating, stealing. You know when you're in it that it's sin. But what about those sneaky ones? Talking about identities that we're wearing that are keeping us separate from God, those less obvious things. And people, we are living in a culture out there, not in here, out there, we're living in a culture that is um, glorifying these identities. We're building monuments to these identities. We are celebrating people who have fully accepted where they are. And using hashtags, now I know I'm speaking to a room now that doesn't all use hashtags and Insta and Snapchat and all that stuff. But you understand what I'm saying, right? When I say we're, we're using hashtags or we're saying things like, you do you. It's all good. You're so brave. Oh, I use some of these up there. I'm just being real. We say these things, right? And celebrating these identities, these monuments. We're celebrating people who have come fully into acceptance of who they are. How about like, I, I'm, just, I'm just an angry person. That's just how I am. I just have anger issues. I, I, I've actually heard this one this week. Somebody like, it's just, I, sh I struggle with anger. I just have anger issues. Ha, ha, ha. Or, or what about, um, I'm, just, <laughs> I'm just sarcastic. That's just how I am. Or no one gets me. You hear labels like victim, labels like failure, labels like orphan, outsider, loner. These things that we're seeing, and, and we are actually just, we're celebrating them in our culture. You finally understand who you are. Wow, congrats. You do you. No one gets me. I'm just, re I'm just being real. Have you ever heard somebody say something kind of sarcastic or biting or even negative about themselves and then just qualify it? I'm just being real. I'm just super real. I'm so real right now. And we're praising them and saying, you're just so brave. There's grace. Oh, there's grace for that. Hashtag. Hashtag grace for that. <laughs> but listen, listen, if the king of kings isn't it, then you aren't designed to be it either because you were created in his image. So let me hold up a second. If the, if the God of the universe isn't sarcastic, <laughs> if King Jesus doesn't struggle with anger issues, hello? If, and, and if he wouldn't say it about you, then it isn't true, and he's not liking it on your social media. So when you make that post that says just being real and it's the most liked post on your social media feed, King of Kings isn't liking it because he doesn't agree with it about you. We are celebrating those who have come into full acceptance of their junk and their identity, people actually using shame or sin as identity, Right? This is just me. It's just who I am. And as a culture, we're celebrating this. You're right. You're so brave. Je Jesus loves you. True. Very true. I'm getting there. Right? 
full acceptance of junk as their identity when in actuality it's not who you were created to be in the first place. And the world's version of grace is a license to stay where you're at, defined by things that were never meant to define you. Because there is grace, okay? There is grace for new seasons, for struggles, for trials. But grace is not a holy authorization for you to stay in your pit. It's the resource for you to get out of it. God loves me just the way that I am. Oh, he loves me just the way that I am. Actually, God loves you too much to leave you that way. He loves you too much for you to be defined by something that he never defined you by. He loves who you are, and he loves your designed identity. But if it does not feel like life and abundance and freedom and fullness and joy and life and living, then it isn't from him. He didn't create it, and his grace is sufficient enough for you to climb out of it. Grace is not sufficient enough to leave you there. Grace is sufficient enough for you to come out of that thing, to be fully seen outside of shame and to receive a new identity not in my notes, because some of you right now have lived with that label for so long that you don't know who you are without it. That actually leaving victim behind is scary, because who will you be if you're not the victim? I'm an orphan. I'm an outsider. I'm going to stay that way, because I don't know who I am without that. Or maybe, or maybe, just maybe, you've been praised by a culture for being that thing for too long. I'm off the page. His grace is sufficient enough for you to step out of that thing and to, f- to find who he's really designed and created you to be. Because it's scary to step out of that thing and to leave that thing behind, but what's on the other side is your God-given destiny. Grace is big enough for that. Because we just said, right, grace isn't license, but what grace is, is an enablement. Enablement to come boldly before the throne. To live confidently in a constant encounter with Jesus. Grace is an enablement for you to constantly live in an encounter with Jesus. Constantly. Constantly. I am always an encounter with Jesus. I'm always an encounter with Jesus. This is not me standing up here like, I have this thing. Uh This is is what you have. This is what you are. You are an encounter with the king always. Because the veil was torn, the holy of holies is with you. You are constantly an encounter with him. I want to challenge you that an encounter with Jesus doesn't need to just happen when you need to get cleaned up. I've had this moment of sin, and now I need an encounter. Or, oh, I'm struggling with this thing. I need an encounter. Oh, I need a fresh word. I need an encounter. No, no. Stay there always. And grace is big enough for you to stay there always. Always. And, and actually, you get to stop coming to places to have an encounter, like coming here to have an encounter and have a word. You can be in your closet having an encounter, having a word. You can be driving down the road, having an encounter, getting a word. I'm off a page, going to tell you something I tell my teenagers all the time. It's not even related to this. Are you ready? If you're waiting for a fresh word from God and you're not getting one, gosh, I need a fresh word. I just need a fresh word. I need that fresh word from God and you're not getting one. Go back to the last word you got 
and see what you haven't gotten there yet. Go back and ask him, what have I not gotten from the last thing that you told me? Because there's something more for you there. Back to where I'm headed. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. So you're waiting for an encounter, for bouncing from encounter to encounter to encounter to encounter instead of just living that life, that encounter life. Hashtag living that encounter life. <laughs> you're going to see that one on Instagram later, promise. <laughs> promise. Living that encounter life. Okay. Ooh. All right. Um, so it's an enablement to become, to come boldly before the throne. Because see, here's the deal. If we know that grace isn't in a cover, we know that grace isn't a cover for sin because neither is the blood of Jesus. If I were, I'm going to use the same example. If I were to take off my sweater and put it on Bella's shoulders, does Bella still have shoulders? I have covered Bella's shoulders with my sweater. Does she still have shoulders? Right. If Jesus' blood covers your sin, I'm going to take this, this rug and cover this pile of dirt right here. Is that pile of dirt still down there? Right. Right it is. You guys already know this stuff. The blood of Jesus cleanses your sin. It's completely washed away. It's not covered. It is gone. It is decimated. It no longer exists. It's no longer visible to him. It's not secret, swept away, the rug of grace, so that he can't see it anymore. It's been washed completely. So, therefore, grace isn't designed to cover you up. It's a resource for your righteousness, a heavenly commodity poured out on the earth. In that phrase, it is finished. Because, see, ooh, the cross didn't begin the battle for your soul. It ended it. Listen, I grew up in the church hearing that the cross was an act of war. And you're right. The cross is an act of war. But it's not the call to war. It's the victory cry. The cross is not a call to battle that now he's going to battle for your soul. He's won your soul, and he's crying out in victory. It is finished. Whoa. That is grace, people. Grace is the blood of Jesus poured out for all flesh so that you get to live as a child who's been won over with the single greatest act of romance ever known, with a sin nature that's dead, sin that has been cleansed, sickness that's been paid for, shame that's been demolished, death that's been destroyed, and an endless well of grace to access when you simply forget who you are. So how do we get to access that type of grace now? How do we actually access that now? Well, first we've got to deal with this shame thing and the identity thing. But the very first thing we can have to do before we can access grace is we have to meet Jesus. You've got to meet Jesus. And I'm, I'm talking about actually meeting the person of Jesus in a way that changes everything from this moment on, it's, it's different. I'm going to come back to that. The second thing is, you know, in the word it says he sits on a throne of grace. So if his throne is made of grace, we have to be in the throne room to access it. The throne room is his presence. 
So when we feel like we're not accessing that grace, we need to just be in the throne room. We need to get in his presence. How do we get in his presence? All my teenagers go, assume the position, <laughs> right? We freaked a new kid out a couple weeks ago. <laughs> he walked in the room, and one of the girls was like, assume the position. <laughs> 20 teenagers go, boom. <laughs> this poor kid was like, where am I? <laughs> he came back, <laughs> so we're good. <laughs> okay, but listen, how do we get in the presence? Whenever I'm not feeling connected to Jesus, whenever I'm like, oh, something's off, I literally will just, like, make a prophetic act and shift. I'll imagine myself outside of his heart. Oh, I'm believing a lie. I have stepped, I have personally stepped outside of Jesus' heart. Let me step back into his heart for me and find the truth. Boom, assume the position. Here I am, a living encounter. Yes? So to access grace, we've got to be in his presence. And the third thing we can do to access grace is to stop hiding. Stop stitching that veil together, trying to live in shame, trying to cover up. Stop hiding from him, trying to replace that veil, calling the work of the cross void. You know, Psalm, Psalms 139, 23 through 24, it's not a slide, don't worry, Christiana says, search me and know my heart. This isn't for his. Oh, it is there. Good job. Search me and know my heart. Examine me through and through. Find out everything that may be hidden within me. Put me to the test and sift through all my anxious cares. Guys, we ask him to do this not for his sake but for ours. You need to get in for him to reveal what's going on inside of you. He, he, he already knows all that. Search my heart and know me. He knows you. He searched your heart. He knows you. He reveals it to himself so that he can reveal it to you. You ask him to reveal it so that it can be revealed to you. Know what's going on inside of you and walk in true intimacy so that you can be totally intimate and naked before the king, just like Adam and Eve, just like that original covenantal design. Stop hiding from yourself. Getting real with your identity and your issues and the hashtags. And the things that we've built our lives on. And I said this already, but just because it has the most likes on your social media doesn't mean it's who you were created to be. Our culture has praised our problems for too long, labeling us as brave, so accepting, just doing you. If we recognize that when grace saves, we don't get to look like dead on the inside, broken, sinful, captive, beating our sin out of us people, then what's so brave is actually living and breathing a joy-filled life, a child of the king saved and set free with a new identity. And then stuff has to start changing. Yeah, right? This is where, hmm, this is where grace comes in rather than your will. Because it's real easy to hear something like this and be like, great, I will stop living that way. I will stop sinning or I will stop living in shame. I will myself. I will myself. But see, if Jesus had to say your will and not mine, then you best believe I need to say it too, right? We have to step outside of what our own wills can do. Like Andrew says all the time, I trust my will as far as I can throw it. My will can work long enough to actually make me prideful about what I'm accomplishing on my own, and it will work short enough to make me shameful of what I was not able to do on my own. 
So I need the will of God in my life. I need to say your will, not mine, and step into his grace as an act of his will. Right? Stop trying to will yourself to be a good person. Stop trying to will yourself into breakthrough. That scripture says it is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. Okay? And then the third the third person to stop hiding from is to bring others in accountability. To have that community who's looking into your life that you're living intimately with and they can say, mm, this thing is not, this is not fullness. That thing right there, I just, that's just not fullness. Let's be all done with that thing. Right? And talking to someone about the very issues that you've been walking outside of grace in. If that's shame, if it's sin, if it's identity, if it's lies, bringing someone else in, bringing other eyes in on that thing. Okay? I want to do something. I'm going to go ahead and have the prayer team come on up. And we're going to have a couple of different um, prayer opportunities. Um, So go ahead and come on up here, prayer team. The first one is this, and I talked about this, but if there's someone in the room, anybody here who has never met the person of Jesus, that's the most important. That's step one. Can I have my whomever person? Thanks, Blake. Can you, let's actually all do this. Everybody stand to your feet, please. And let's have eyes closed and assume the position. For those of you who are new, that just means put, put your hands out like you're in um, position to receive. No, you're good. Like you're ready to receive something from Jesus. So eyes closed, real quick. If there's anyone in the room right now who hasn't met Jesus face to face, I always want to make room for this. I always want to make room for people to meet Jesus. And hey, listen up. Maybe you know Jesus, but maybe you feel like you need a reintroduction. That's okay, too. Prayer teams are here. So that's the first thing. If you feel like you want to encounter Jesus, you want to meet him for the first time, you want to welcome him into your life. That's our first call. Second call is for those of you who feel like you've been hiding from him due to shame. You want to deal with that shame issue. Maybe you've been hiding from him. Maybe you've been hiding from others. Maybe you've even been hiding from yourself. Something keeping you locked up stitching that veil back together and trying to hide. Choosing distance for safety. If that feels like you, you can go ahead and come on up. These guys are awesome. They're ready to pray for you. We're going to deal with the shame issue right now. And then, of course, the third thing is that identity message. knowing fully who you are as a son, as a daughter. Knowing fully who you are. Not being defined by what the world has said. Not being defined by a label that you've chosen. Not settling for victim anymore. The label of orphan. The label of victim. The label of failure. Yeah, I'm going to stick on that. That failure thing. 
or whatever it is, if you just need a fresh encounter with the king on that, our prayer teams are here for that as well. Jesus, Jesus. Come on up now. If, if, if any of those three things are, are resonating with you, go ahead and make your way up. Mm, Jesus, you're so good. 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 I just release right now fresh love encounters all over the room. Love encounter with the king right now in Jesus' name. Love encounter with the king in Jesus' name. Shame has no place. I just release a fresh revelation on that. Unhindered access. Fresh revelation on what that really means to have unhindered access to the king. Unhindered access as a child of the Most High. Shame gone, identity sealed, and destinies released. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Acts 2 podcast. Love God, love people, and live life. 